0: Remain standing. Let's go ahead and pray together, guys. Prepare our hearts. Lord Jesus, um, we thank you that you are worthy of all praise. And Lord, we ask, would you be gracious right now to continue to allow us to be before your throne, uh, to be worshiping you through how we interact with the scriptures? Lord, we confess that other things grab our eye. And Lord, we ask that we can confess that to you. Repent of that, and you forgive us, Lord, and that you would just restore our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus right now. And I'm humbled to know that in my, in my life and life of the people here, only by your grace can we want to hear from you, want to respond to you. And so, Lord, um, my words, the words of people in this congregation, uh, they won't, they can't produce faith. But we need you to move in our hearts. So we pray for that right now, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I pray for my words, Lord, that you would use me by your grace to allow the people of God to to hear from you and to want to exalt you, Christ. That they would truly, not just in their words, but in their hearts, be able to say how great is our God. We pray for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You see the family? You can open up your Bibles. we are talking about Exodus. Praise the Lord! Um, before we begin, a couple uh, side notes. So you have our so our leaders. Um, your pastor Leon over there with the Bibles. You can raise your hand. You got one of our leaders, Sam. You raise your hand if you need Bibles. Uh, as you know, as a local community, we want to make sure uh, that you are just learning how to navigate through the scriptures, and so that's why we slowly walk through the text um, together as a family, and then you guys rewalk through the text again um, as you are uh, in your small groups, uh, because we want to make sure that that we are dialoguing with the unadulterated word of Christ. Uh, so hopefully we will be faithful on our end and you'll be faithful on your end, understanding we all have a responsibility as we enter into uh, discussing uh, the truth of Christ and who he is. <coughs> if you need a Bible, let us know. Uh, if you need one at home, let us know. We would love to supply you with that. It's very important for us as a local community to provide that for you. Um, Hey, a couple things real quick. What I usually do is I bring big old books up here um, right on the first beginning of a, of a series. But now we're in 2015. I'm trying to get more technologically efficient and realizing you guys probably do it on, online and stuff like that. So I didn't bring any books. So I just brought titles because I know you can type them up later and, and get your own books. Um, a couple, uh, we have a, a bibliography sheet here. Um, yeah, You remember back in the day I would have my little big old Dictionaries, and I thought it was cute, but y'all was looking at me like, what is this brother doing? So, first and foremost, we have the Bible by God. Um, So, I want to, I want (laughs) to, not get my, some of my people, that's inaccurate. There was all these other authors, it was Paul, you know what I mean? Inspiration, come on, man. So, Holy Bible. I uh, also want to encourage you, uh, another book that has that uh, been very uh, helpful uh, is uh, The God Who Makes Himself Known uh, by a, a brother, uh, Blackburn, uh, which is a really good book uh, that's really talking about the mission of posture uh, that flows out of Exodus, uh, which is uh, kind of a newer uh, uh, and a perspective that's being celebrated in scholarship um, as we look at the whole flow of scripture. So I want to encourage you. It's a, it's a cool, chill read. It's like 200 some pages. It's really chill. So... So uh, I want to encourage you in that. Uh, then you have Word Biblical Commentary Series, uh, which is a whole commentary series, actually. Uh, and within it, uh, the, the specific writer is a dude named John uh, Durham, and uh, he does a great job. Uh, it's more of a, it's, 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 when you think of the gradation of, like, scholarly work and, like, lay, it's probably, like, on, a, on, the, on the edge of scholarly here, but it's not to, like, uh, Old Testament international commentary or Greek Testament. It's not there, but it's, like, it's like kind of, like, in the... We need to say 80 percentile. So uh, you definitely is going to have to use your, you can put your thinking cap on, but it's a really good read. and It also helps you just understand some of the nuances of what's going on in the text. Uh, New American commentary um, by a guy that myself and I believe Pastor Leon was taught by in seminary. Did you have Dr. Stewart as well? Yes, yeah, so we had actually Dr. Stewart. Um, great guy, brilliant scholar, um, very well-renowned, world-renowned in the Old Testament and Hebrew and things of that sort. Uh, uh, Pastor Leon wanted to make it clear that I ha- he, he gave me this book to borrow and, and, and wanted to make sure that he got it back. So I thought I would let you guys hold me accountable that at the end of this, you can ask Pastor Leon and he got get his book back. And if not, y'all can come see me and hold me accountable. Um, also, whenever you're doing um, Bible study, we want to encourage you to always have uh, a, a, a dictionary. A new Bible dictionary is what I encourage. Uh, there's there's a few different different dictionaries, uh, but just to have dictionaries that help you understand certain uh, frameworks of scripture, certain words, uh, certain uh, themes that are going on, and you can like really get a good cursory understanding of some of those things in a new Bible dictionary. So we'll encourage that, and um, which has been very helpful for me uh, for years now is a commentary on the Old New Testament use of the Old Testament um, by Bill and Carson. Uh, again, uh, Carson and Bill being uh, great scholars. And what this book does, it really tries to show you the thread that happens in Scripture uh, when, you're, when you're reading the Old Testament and seeing uh, how basically the New Testament isn't like birthing up all this new stuff, but actually it's kind of helping you see the flow of what's going on in the Old Testament and the things that were being fulfilled. So that's uh, your uh, bibliography sheet. And, Pastor, I totally forgot my water. Can you hook me up with some water? Thanks, man. And... Um, so I want to encourage you in that. Uh, with that said, I want to just bring up a couple more kind of, kind of housekeeping issues as we enter into the book. I want to first just basically talk about um, Exodus as a whole. When you think of Exodus, guys, and so get your pins out. We're going to be ready to rock. Y'all ready to rock? All right, cool. Um, oh, he brought the he brought out the whole. Look at this brother. He ain't playing. He's going to bring you the whole can't. Look at this. Brother. I, I was trying to be inconspicuous, brother. I'm going to bring the jar out to this brother real quick. Thank you, Pastor. So I'm gonna pick up this big old jar every time I drink something. Yeah. All right, so, <laughs> all right, so um, when you think of the when you think of the book of Exodus, um, there's a lot that's going on in the book of Exodus. Uh, it's a it's a foundation book, um, uh, more more focusing in on the history of of the dealings of how God dealt with His people. It's almost like uh, what you see in, in in Genesis is is God showing you. Uh, that he's made it all, he's done it all, and then he kind of beelines, and we'll talk about Genesis in a moment. But then Exodus is kind of showing you that basically the people have not really understood and known God, but that a family have actually really understood and known God. And now God was kind of bringing an exposition, as it were, was bringing a revelation, as it were, from this, this family to all the people of God and helping them understand like who he is. Does that make sense? And so we don't think like that. We think just from Genesis on up, you know, we, we come with the, the framework, okay, this is who God is, this is who Yahweh is. And then we implant that into, as we're reading the Old Testament. But what was really happening here is people were actually getting to know and understand who God is and his character. And it's actually really taking shape, actually, the book of Exodus. So we get to see right now, what does it look like for God to begin to show and train his people how to deal with him as a holy God? Okay, so this is really exciting because as he's training his people, as it were, what does it mean to deal with him as a holy God? Then he's training his people, as it were, what does it mean to deal with him as a holy God? Right? Um, So, so it's a it's a history um, it's a history of deliverance um, and the way he kind of shapes and and provides for the community. Um, but he's really trying to show us like that God is a God who redeems his people and he rescues his people and he wants us to understand what does it mean to be his people. Now, the theology of Exodus, as a nutshell, when I say theology, the study of God, as we look at the book of Exodus, a uh, major push. There's a lot of things going on. There's uh, talking about His sovereignty. We're talking about covenants. We're talking about deliverance during our time. Many times we're going to be talking about those things. But the major push um, is theological, right? Is that he is, it's about, it's about God. It's about God first, Right? And it's about God. And in understanding God, one of the major two, I would say two pushes, I don't even know if it's up there, is is this push on faith. That the book of Exodus is probably, I would say in a nutshell, it's about two things. It's about a book of faith and a book of mission. What does it mean when you see a God who's on mission and then everything he does, I want to propose from Genesis through Revelation, is about God being a missional God and wanting people to know him. But in addition, it's a book on faith, which is interesting. As you read Exodus, I want you to remember that because faith is a gift. And I want to propose that if you don't have faith, you're probably going to get some good stuff out of this. You know, you're going to get some good moral teachings and things of that sort. But as a nutshell, you won't really get it. I'm going to to just throw that out. You won't really get it because the book of Exodus is a book about faith. It's understanding that of, of taking God as his word, being trained on saying, man, I want to believe in what I cannot see. But what is known, clear to me. So it really will stretch us. And if you're a visitor, I want to encourage you, if you could do me a favor, and Mac Gavis as well, obviously, I want you to stay on the journey with us. Come and listen to, give us us this book and, and see what the Lord does in your life. I guarantee you, if you submit and you just ask, be open to what God wants to do in your life, that God will change your life. All right. So I want to ask for you to come and dialogue with us week in and week out as we walk through the book of Exodus and as we get to know whom this God is, as we get to know who are we in light of who this God is, and then see what God does in you and to you. Okay? When you look at the landscape of Exodus, and what I'm doing right now, I'm just going to try to just whet our appetite a little bit, and then we're going to go and pray and talk about it in my group, and then we're going to head back and really dive in actually next week. But when you think of the landscape of Exodus in a nutshell, the, the first half of the book is kind of a broad summary. It's kind of like, I would say, remembering and rescue, right? Is that, is that basically we're going to see the first half as being kind of uh, of, of remembering? We're going to look at that briefly, and then we're going to see kind of the rescue piece. And then the second half, uh, what we see in the book is you're going to see the response to the rescue. Okay, so just painting a picture. This is what we're going to be going through. And you know what? I'm, I'm trying to figure this out as far as a narrative because we can go really... I'm, I'm trying to figure out how, how fast I'm going to go through the book. It might be a year. As you guys know, it could be two years. So we'll see what the Lord does. Be praying, okay? Um, so you have remembering, rescue, and then the response of God's people in light of it, okay? Um, now, what's interesting, I want, I want you to see this, is that uh, we begin... Notice when you turn to Exodus chapter one and you look at the first words uh, many of your different texts have what 's the first word in, some of, in, some, in the Bible that we just gave you Good these. these so it says these what 's the second word these hmm? so these are so it 's basically beginning this genealogy, right. But what I want to propose to you is that actually uh, in, the, in the original writing, actually the book stars, the book of Exodus stars with, and these are, right? And the author did that on purpose because the author wants you and me not to go to the book of Exodus thinking that it's an isolated book, okay? The author did this on purpose because the author wanted to clearly show you that the book of Exodus is connected It's connected to a historical patriarchal framework, okay, that we have just left, right? And so he says, and, because it's almost as if Genesis never ended, okay? So he starts the book with, and these are, and begins to give you the genealogy of what's just happened uh, as we've left the book of Genesis. I bring it up to say that we have to actually, if I don't pause and talk about Genesis a little bit, I think we'll be unfaithful because the author is assuming that you've understood, that you understand the history, you're understanding what was going on in Genesis as you enter into this new pericope, this huge work that we call Exodus that's part of a bigger narrative, and that is the Bible. All right? All right, so with that said, so you have the author clearly letting us know that that there's a bigger narrative that's going on and that this stems from that minor narrative that we see in Genesis. And so what happens in Genesis, we say, well, what happens in Genesis? I mean, I'm not going to get nervous. I'm not going to talk through all uh, 50 chapters. But what I will say to you is that there's, uh, there's a few movements in Genesis that we need to understand is that God wants to show us in the beginning of Genesis that God did. God created everything, right? That God created everything out of nothing, ex nihilo, right? He created everything out of nothing. There was nothing, and then God, right? Then God made And then God made and he created out of love and power. I I always tell people that... Out of the abundance of love that unlike you and me, he didn't have a void and kind of was needy and felt like I need to do something. But God created out of the abundance of his love. And so he had so much love, so much mercy, so much grace that he wanted to share all of who he is with just, hey, so I just I'll create more people and create people to hopefully be able to bless more people because that's just how good God is. I can't even imagine that because I do things out of voids usually. And so do you because we're all broken and we're all, we're all messed up. Right? We get our relationships, we buy a car, we get a house, we do all these things because of needs and voids. And God is the only one who does things out of abundance. Okay? So he creates and does those things, and then he creates us, As uh, he creates the, the world, he creates creatures, he creates plant life, he creates all these things. And then he creates us as his apex, us as his, his beautiful crown jewel people, and he creates us bearing his image, being like him. And then we were supposed to experience that beauty of being like God, imaging God, responding to God, enjoying God forever. And then we have the audacity to sin. And just like that, basically, creation was now entering into decreation, right? What was being formed was now being deformed. And this is what we have seen. And if, you, if, if I need to prove it to you, this is what Genesis—I would say one, I would say actually two through eleven—is about: is that God is looking and saying, "Let me let me show people how messed up they are because of the fall." Right. So you see a decreative order happen. All of a sudden, we're marred and we're tainted and we're evil. And the Bible says in Genesis five, we want evil all of the time. That, that we're intent on doing evil all the time. That we are totally depraved. We're totally messed up. And that although we still have God's image, it is extremely marred. And so now our our relationship with God is broken, our relationship with each other is broken, our relationship with with creation is broken, our self-identity is jacked up, right? And now instead of experiencing peace and joy and freedom, we're filled with anxiety and fear. And so now we're putting clothes on and we're doing all these things because we're hiding from one another. We're hiding from God and the world is just messed up. And then what Jesus wants to do is he wants to prove to you that we're that messed up and then he gives us those next chapters by showing murder. <laughs> right and showing brothers killing a brother, and showing men feeling like they can be like God and kind of and build a tower, and, and so God is continually showing us how messed up we are and how we we desire to be our own God and we want to get rid of God so that we can see that man. As I'm looking at these chapters, things aren't getting better. Things aren't even staying the same. They're increasingly getting more worse, worse and worse. Right. And instead of us just destroying ourselves, which I love what God does, instead of us destroying ourselves, God gets frustrated, and then he destroys all of humanity, right, except a few. And you might think, okay, cool, he left a really, really good guy and their family, and so he's going to remake, basically, creation, start over again. You have the remnant, and I'm talking about Noah when he kills all of humanity during the flood, basically, right? And What happens? Humanity grows up and is just as evil and nasty and conniving and and messed up and decreative. And what's the point there? It's for you and I to see, God already knew it, but for you and I to see that we need someone different than us to save us. We need a rescuer. the the, the, The best person in here is an evil person. Just like the best person then was still an evil person. And so what God does when he proves to us that we are sinful, we're messed up, and there's a need for a rescuer, what he wants to do, and now he wants to show you, okay, that's true. I told you I promised that there's a rescuer coming because you need a rescuer. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to beeline and take you from humanity, and I've shown you how horrible and how depraved humanity is. Now I'm going to beeline into the family that I'm going to bring the rescuer from. And so I'm going to beeline into that family. In that family, I'm going to show you a lot of stuff here. I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you the same kind of evil and the same kind of conniving and, and craziness. I'm going to show you a man who's not caring for his wife and says she's his, his sister and he's scared. And I'm going to show you all these things. Why? Because I'm going to show you that your rescuer is going to come from these messed up people. This line here. And so 1 through 11, you get to see basically big scope of humanity. 12 through 50, you get to see him beeline to Abraham and Abraham's family. He begins to show us a little snapshot of humanity from a little focal point, and that's the people of God that he's chosen um, in Abraham and Sarah. You go all the way through Genesis 12 through 50, you get toward the end, and uh, you have the story of Joseph. So you've seen throughout, and remember when we are in Genesis, what, we, what do we see over and over again? You're thinking, oh my goodness, these people we sing about, Abraham, and these people that I hear about in the scriptures, and I thought they were awesome, and then we study them, and you realize they're so evil and broken and messed up. And it's really humbling, right? But it's, a good, it's good news because it shows you that the narratives, what, we, what I'm trying to and what God is trying to do to us and train us in, is that the narratives in the Bible are never about us just doing character studies and going, look how cool people are. But as we look through Genesis, we were all convinced that each time we had to say, look how good God is. Look how gracious God is. Man, they did all these things. They killed a whole people group and God was still gracious. <laughs> right? They sold their birthright and God was still gracious. And so you look and see over and over again. And we get to Joseph and we see all the things that happened to Joseph, right? I mean, could you have painted a crazier picture of someone having a lot of bad things happen to them? First, the guy gets thrown into a ditch by his bros, right? They beat him up, throw him into a ditch, left him for dead. Then they go and say, they say, well, better yet, let's take him out the ditch and let's sell him, right? Then they sell him, okay? And you're thinking, man, can it get worse? Absolutely, right? He gets sold. He then ends up working. He does okay. Then he gets caught up in an environment where a girl who wants to kind of frame him gets him thrown in jail because she wanted sexual exploits. He said, no, she lies on him. He gets thrown in jail, right? And he's in jail for many, remember, many, 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 many years, right? And then he finally tells, uh, he helps a guy in jail with a dream. And the guy, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, finally, Joseph's going to get a break. He's been a good dude the whole time. Give the brother a break. So he tells the guy, and the guy says, hey, you help me get out of jail. I'll help you. He helps the guy. The guy forgets about Joseph. He spends more time in prison, Right? But then we see out of, all these, out of all this craziness, we see God actually uses it to lift him up all the way to second in command in Egypt. Right? And so what God is showing you, he's showing us this beautiful picture that, we, that man, he, and he says it in, in the scriptures there, the, the guys are looking, they're scared, they think Joseph is going to do something to him. He says, hey, hey, see, I, I, I was mad I was upset and it was crazy and that's why I had to go to the back room and cry when I saw you. But what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And why am I telling you this? Because you see what the writer is doing in Exodus? When we look at the text here, I wanted you to understand. He is wanting the people of God as they're reading the beginning of Exodus to pause and remember the story in Genesis. Because they're going to need to remember that story when they realize what they're going to go through in Exodus. Now see, we have to stop looking at that as just history, but realize, guess what? That's just a retelling of our life. See, the reason why you and I study and read the Bible is because we want to learn more about theology, right? But when you look at the world that you and I are in and you see the damage that happens in our world and the things that happens to us, and all of us have a lot of stories in this room, God says, where is your anger going to be? What are you going to believe? What's going to allow you to get through it? Are you going to just pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Or are you going to have a healthy theology that's grounded in what God has done in history and then you can even reflect that onto what God has done in your life and now you can stand in faith knowing I can be okay and secure and not anxious because I know my God. That's what he's trying to do here. He's trying to help these individuals that were going to go through what they're going to go through in Exodus to say, man, you're impossible. Whatever your impossible is in your life is not impossible with God because look at Joseph and you can go through the stories. That's his point. That's what he's doing in the text here. He wants you and I to ask, how big is your God? With that said, we're going to jump right in to Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. It says, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Right? And again, I told you, he uses the exact actual six words that he uses in Genesis chapter 46, verse 8. Right, really, just really trying to help you and I understand that first and foremost, that this story that God is painting with, uh, in Exodus is part of a bigger drama. That right now he's starting something that is is way bigger than just, uh, the book of Exodus. That Exodus is not a disconnected tale, right, of happenings. It is actually a story. And actually, he's beginning the story in Exodus with the story of Joseph. And then why are they very similar? Why, why are they similar? Joseph's story and Israel's story. Because I'm going to propose to you, both of them are, are going to have to ask the question, where is God? Right? Think about it. When Joseph was going through all that, do you think he thought, man, where, where is God in this? Like I'm trying to worship God and, and, and what I get for it is I get thrown in a ditch. Where's God in that? I'm trying to worship God and all of a sudden, I end up in prison. I had integrity. I'm in prison, working hard, and, and or I'm working. I'm, I'm sorry. Before I get thrown in prison, I'm working hard in Potiphar's house. And what happens? I have someone lie on me. Where is God in that? The exact same thing is going to happen as we enter into the Book of Exodus. And so I'm proposing the reason why he wanted to make sure that we connected that is so that when the children of Israel, what we're going to see as we go through Exodus and going through what they're going through, they can remember, wait a minute, no, no, you're not the first people group to have to ask the question, where's God? But I want you to remember the answer. God is always near. The point is that God is always near. And so he gives us the names of the tribes Verse 2, um, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, God, and Asher, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. I don't want to make too much of the list here. Uh, you can look at the different, they, 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 they separate them in different components. I just think it seems that he's just trying to show you that basically uh, Joseph, you can trace the tribes of Israel through the Joseph, uh, Joseph's lineage, I'm sorry, through the Jacob's lineage. I think that's what he's trying to show you here, and that what we're going to see is that the people of God, as it were, is going to come from this lineage. And then he says, "Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation." So, so he's setting up the he's setting the stage up for you and for you and me, saying, "Okay, you have uh, this great group that has seventy, all right, and then Joseph dies." At age one hundred and maybe ten or something like that. And it seems right here in verse six, y'all, this is where the reader begins to say, I'm kind of like cutting the story of Joseph. And I'm beginning this kind of this is where Moses is going to begin to take the reader beyond and kind of. Take them beyond the Genesis story and begin to kind of enter into a story that's that's separate, or I would say that it's is, is uh, in addition to the patriarchal generation that you have just seen. That beforehand it was all about the patriarchal generation, but guess what? Those guys have died off. So now we're starting this new narrative, and here's what and here's where I want to leave us in verse seven. But the people, the does this. But the people of Israel. Look at this circle were fruitful one and increased greatly Two, they multiplied three and grew extremely, exceedingly strong Four, so that the land was filled five with them. Do you think he's trying to make a point there? You know, I've been reading the Bible for a while now. I don't think I've ever seen uh, that kind of uh, apposition where you say the same thing in different ways. Five times in one verse. Five times in one verse. And here's what he's doing. He's doing something that, you know, is so common for us, so plain for us, that I saw it fit to talk about it and then stop here. Because I want us all to do some soul searching on this beginning text. As he's beginning the book of Exodus, he starts Here. I've never seen a dramatization like this. Mentioned five times in one verse. What does he mention? Being fruitful. Increasing greatly. Multiply. Grew in, growing extremely, uh, exceedingly strong. Feel with them. You know what these are, guys? This is him reminding the people of God he fulfilled his promise. He fulfilled his promise. Think about it. They've gone through he was this one dude in Genesis twelve, and he says in Genesis twelve, in Genesis fifteen. I mean, do I have my my hard copy here? He says in Genesis twelve, in Genesis fifteen, in Genesis one, chapter chapter one, verse twenty eight, in Genesis chapter twenty two. Verse 17, let me read Genesis 22, verse 17. The other ones are super famous. Genesis 1 28 is the mandate. You're going to be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 12, he tells them, he says, as far as the, you see the sand on the ground there, you're, you're, the people who are going to come from you, you're going to be more than that. He reaffirms that in Genesis 15. You're going to be a, a great people, a great nation, a blessing to the world, right? In Genesis 22, look what the scriptures say Genesis 22, verse 17. I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as of the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. He says that again in Genesis 26 verse 4. He says it again in Genesis 35 verse 11. And then right here, he wants to remind them that it's gotten to the point where you had that one guy who actually questioned and thought that gee, that God didn't know what he was doing when he gave him this old lady and said, you're going to have one baby. Right? He didn't know what he and he didn't believe God then. He's saying we're now here in this book and we're beginning this book, just the second book of the Bible, and I've already fulfilled one of my mandating promises. And that is, I am truly making you fruitful, and you are truly multiplying the earth. And actually it's to the point now where the Egyptians are like, there's too many of them. So why does he use the words fruitful? And you increased greatly, and they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, and the land was filled. Is because he wants those individuals to understand that God keeps his promise. Why does that matter for you and me today? Does that mean anything to you today? What does that mean for you that God keeps his promise? Jonathan? He keeps his promises for you and me. Now, what are his promises? What are God's promises? I bring that up because I want to propose. When we hear that word, we think of a lot of stuff. But what I want to do is as we enter the book of Exodus, we're going to learn what God's promises are. So we don't start projecting stuff on God. You know, I I have many counseling sessions with people who think God's supposed to give them a lot of stuff he ain't promised. I do. And, And what I always say, and some of you have heard me say this to you. I'll say, man, what are your expectations for Christ? What are you expecting? Because we're going to t- I want to talk about what God said he would give. But what I also want to tell you that it's awesome when we learn what he gives. And I want you to know he is going to fulfill it. So key thoughts as you prep in your time here is that God remembers his covenant promise. And that if you remember this covenant promise, then you are going to be now and always secure. And I'll just give you one. That those of you in here right now who says, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want you to be my king. Guess what God told us? He says, when we confess with our mouth and we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. Right? When we repent of our sins, we ask for forgiveness. Guess what? You cannot rip yourself from God's hand when you're his child. So one of the beautiful promises that we have of Jesus is that if you are his, you will be his. See, that's beautiful. That's great. Why is this important, guys? Because the days are dark. Evil Evil is prevalent. And I watch many of us throughout the day, including myself, have an issue where just simply we doubt God's promises. And you know what? As we look at the book of Exodus, they are going to really struggle with what do I really believe about God's promises? And then he's going to always want to help them realize that's why I started the book like this, because I want you to understand. I kept the first one. Now, what's promise number two? Number two, the land. I want to propose Exodus is him going on that journey of keeping promise number two. Giving him the land. And we'll talk about how that prepares our hearts for later, too. Here's how I want you to prepare your hearts, guys. I want you to remember that he keeps his covenant promise. His people, then and now, we're always secure. And the reason why this is important, because we're in a, we're in a community where we, we believe God. I talk to people all the time, and, you know, we believe, we, believe the, we, we believe the facts. We'll hear the facts of the good news. But here's what people in our community, I want to propose my neighbors, say to me. In their practical demonstration of life. I hear what you're saying, Eric. I understand what you're saying about the Bible. I won't, I won't fight what the Bible says. But I really don't believe that that stuff has practical implications on my life. And the reason why I say that is because people can hear the words that we're saying and then go and live however they want to live. What that's really saying is you really don't believe in God's promises. Right? So that's that's our mode of operation in the community. And I I hope it's not the mode of operation in our local body. I wanna propose one of the main modus operandi of you believing in God's promises is that you obey what he says in his word, right? And so I meet brothers who say, yeah, that's cool, man, but I gotta hustle, I gotta get mine. You know, if you go and do the Friday night evangelism thing, you'll meet brothers on the block, you know? And they'll hear you and they'll respect you and they'll actually won't dog, they actually won't even trip off the scriptures. But they're like, but I still got to do me. That's, that's, that's the culture saying, I really don't believe the promises of God, even though I say I believe the promises of God. So it does matter. Prepare your hearts that he will keep all his promises in your life. Prepare your hearts. As we study the book of Exodus, I want you to be remembering, thinking, as I, as I bring up a promise in Exodus, as we talk about the promise, I want you to remember, he keeps his promises. So the third general thing I want you to be preparing your hearts for, the first two, is first, generally, prepare your heart that, man, God keeps his covenant promises. And our people then now are secure, and, and that means more than just a sin of facts, that he'll keep his promises. Here, promise of people and the land is what we're going to see. And then finally... I want you to prepare your hearts that God has a missional purpose. There's a missionary purpose for you and me that He wants to show throughout the book. That as we read the book, we're going to see that God has basically created His people so that they might be on mission. That that, that man, you can't even it's so intertwined to what does it mean to be God's people? You cannot separate being God's people and not giving your life to him as a as a As an orator for the grace of God, telling the world of his goodness as the missionary, as his missionary. Everybody who says they're his child. Everybody. Those are the things I want you to store in your heart. Those are the things I want you to be thinking about as we enter the book of Exodus, starting, uh, hitting hitting it hard next week. Again, he keeps his promises, his missionary purposes, and he is a covenantal God keeping his promise. Let's bow our heads, please. Lord Jesus, pray for you to guide us as we dive in this book, Lord. I pray that we would learn and grow. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would just give us grace to understand your word. I pray uh, for your spirit to allow us to read the Bible, uh, have questions to to dialogue and to be faithful with your text lord i pray that we would be a people who who understands and tries to and just trust you that that lord you have kept your promises with the people of god of old you keep your promises today lord jesus i pray you would show that encourage us lord as we enter the word and as we see the story of god and see how um, just your relationship with israel unfolds lord prepare us and work in us that we might be your people and And just enjoy grace, enjoy the beautiful promises you have given us, Lord. Pray you'll make those things clear as we study the book. Thank you, Lord Jesus, in Christ's name, amen.